On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we will be chatting with the City of Hamilton's new Director of Economic Development. Now, why would we chat with him? Well, because basically this is the guy who is going to be responsible for the future growth, the future investment into the city. It's a huge, important role. Norm Schlehan will join us to discuss what he plans to do to try and keep Hamilton on the on the ride, on the momentum, with the momentum that we have been hearing for a long time now that we've been enjoying. We're going to be chatting about real estate prices in this city, talking about money, because at what point does it go from being kind of an interesting story that our prices for houses keep going up to the point now where they're averaging 650,000 to the spot where we say, you know what, this could actually be trouble. Or have we already passed that? We'll discuss that one. And would you pay a TV commentator a million dollars per game to call the game? Well, that's what Tony Romo is going to be getting roughly for the next 10 years. Good decision, bad decision. We'll discuss. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Now, some people are going to know what the Director of Economic Development for the city does. Many of you probably. You can, even if you don't know exactly, you could have a pretty good guess. Uh, And I'm not going to whittle it down too, too much, except to say that this is a person who is ultimately overseeing, trying to lure companies to bring business, to bring economic development to the city, just kind of like it sounds. Well, the city has just hired a new one. The old one retired. New one has come on board. And this is the guy who, in many ways, is going to have a big say in the success of the city going forward. It's a very big, very important role. His name is Norm Schlehan. He joins us now. Norm, congratulations. Thanks, Scott. Uh, It's good to have a job with no pressure or expectations, right? It's kind of nice to come in and everything's easy. (laughs) Absolutely. It's... uh... It's, uh, it's quite, quite the position. There's quite a lot of responsibility that goes along with it, but I, I welcome the opportunity. I'm quite humbled uh, by the response that I received so far. We are told, we have been told many, many, many times over the last number of years about how much of a role Hamilton is on right now. It, it, does that make this a, I would assume that makes it a good time to come into a job like this? You know, Scott, it is, it is a very good time. I think we've seen the momentum building in Hamilton here over the last uh, three Three years from the industrial side, and, uh, and I think you've seen some exceptional results in our downtown core uh, from a residential and a commercial standpoint of what we've gained over the last few years. So it, it's a good time. Uh, we want to maintain that momentum and keep things going forward. And, and part of the reason I ask is it sounds like it's a, you know, a well-duh question. Of course you want to come in when there's momentum. Why wouldn't you? Except uh, if you were come, it, it would be more difficult, I would guess, Norm, when things are going well to put your stamp on things as you might if you were starting from scratch or starting from a deficit position. Are you able, do you want in your position now to be able to come in and put your own stamp on this job? You know, I, I do. I have some ideas of where, where I'd like to, to go with, uh, with the department, obviously, or with the division, pardon me. The, um, I think we want to maintain our, uh, our, our position. Um, it, we're a very attractive destination right now. Uh, we want to keep that momentum going. We no longer have to be pounding on the doors of developers in Toronto uh, in the GTA to say, hey, look this way. They're now knocking on our doors. So uh, we want to maintain that, that going uh, in that direction. Um, we also want to make sure that uh, the, the, key, the key factor right now, and, and one of the stamps that I want to put on, on here as I move forward in this position, is we really have to start taking a look at, at the labor force needs here in the city and uh, making sure that we can uh, retain a workforce. Workforce is probably the biggest challenge that all municipalities 
are facing, uh, not, not only here in Hamilton, uh, across the province, across the country, um, retaining workforce uh, and expanding your workforce. Uh, so companies coming in uh, have, have, have a, a workforce that's, uh, that's able to uh, respond to their needs. So you're not talking about public workforce necessarily. You're talking about uh, people who are here with the abilities and the, the skills to be able to step in and fill those jobs. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Where do we stand with that then right now? I mean, I just read a piece in the Waterloo Record this week about uh, there was um, a thing that was done that says, that, you know, Waterloo, obviously with University of Waterloo, with some of the high-tech stuff they have, that they're very appealing to companies right now. Where do we stand with that? So I, mean, I think, Scott, when you take a look at uh, workforce, we just can't look, take a look at the high-tech piece. Uh, uh, it goes across a, a number of sectors. We need to have jobs for everyone within this community. Uh, ones, uh, we have to look at how we can retrain people that are already within our workforce or that are looking to get into our workforce, give them the skills and abilities to move forward there. Uh, we need to start educating our educators, actually. That's, that's been a huge, uh, huge push for me. Uh, I've been, I'm a past chair of the Industry Education Council, and uh, what, what I found in dealing with uh, uh, the directors of the various school boards is that they weren't as up to speed as the, the types of developments that were taking place in the city uh, in terms of the key sectors that we were looking into. Uh, after a few sessions and, and whatnot, uh, we, we've actually had made some really good progress there. And uh, how, how are they supposed to teach kids about what the job opportunities are within our city if they don't know what the, the key growth sectors and the key skill areas are? So uh, we're, we're trying to do a bit more of a grassroots approach in terms of developing our workforce. Obviously, uh, we, there are going to be positions that are going to be attracted in from the outside, uh, similar to Waterloo in terms of Waterloo trying to find some of those skill sets. Uh, but I, I think that uh, a bit of a grassroots approach uh, here at home and uh, coupled with some, um, you know, very, very creative ways to try and try to bring some workforce in from the outside, I, I think a combination of, of both will actually bode well for us here. And if I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying, I, I find what you are saying refreshing because we've heard for so long now that if you don't go to university and don't get into high tech or whatever else, you're missing. And uh, like that's fine for a lot of people, but I think sometimes we underplay the other things, the skills you're talking about or I think you're talking about, which is we don't all have to be putting every kid through high tech stuff. There are hands-on jobs that we can do that are just as important. Scott, there's a huge demand for skilled trades right now within, within our economy. Uh, there are companies that are begging for mill rights uh, um, and, and other types of skilled labor. And uh, we just have to make sure that uh, the kids, and, and actually more importantly, the parents are aware of these opportunities. Because sometimes it's not just a matter of educating the kids about this, but it's educating the parents. I know when I went to school, my parents said, you have to go to university. Uh, and uh, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with going to university. Love McMaster. Uh, I'm sitting in this chair today because of the education they've given me. But that's not, that's not the best, best thing for every, every individual. Every individual has a, a certain set of skill sets, a different way to learn, a different way they apply things. Um, so I, I really think getting back to more of a grassroots uh, approach to that, that whole labor piece. And it's not going to be easy, the, but I tell you what, the collaboration in this community is fantastic uh, with, our, uh, with our educational institutions, be it the, our school boards, uh, Mohawk, McMaster, Redeemer. There's a real collaborative spirit in trying to move, move that move that needle forward. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. A few weeks back, Glenn Norton retired as head of economic development in the city. His replacement has just been hired. His name is Norm Schlehan. We'll continue chatting with him. Um, Norm, 
there are obviously a number of ways to develop the economy in this city. One is to have people who are already here spend money to develop. We're just seeing that, the announcement this week with the Mohawk or McMaster Innovation Park. The other is to attract people who are not in the community to come in and set up a company or set up a business here. Does one trump the other as far as importance? So uh, the, the number one rule of thumb in economic development is that basically 80% of your growth comes from within, and that's probably even more. So we really want to try and, and capitalize on the companies that are already here because they know Hamilton's a great place to do business. They already have their workforce here. Uh, and, uh, I mean, so uh, the team that I have in place here, uh, we spend uh, probably 80% of our time dealing with those local companies to make sure that uh, if they are, they are looking to, for expansion, expansion opportunities here in the city, that we're going to deal with them first. However, that being said, attraction is still a very important component uh, of, of, it, of the uh, equation. And uh, I think what we've seen here in Hamilton over the last uh, three years especially uh, has been, been exceptional. Um, we, we've, 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 had, we've been uh, several announcements uh, with respect to national and uh, international names that have, that have established here. Uh, L3 Harris, uh, Westcam. So Westcam, uh, they're, they're in the process of building 330,000 square feet uh, and 1,200 employees will be moving here in uh, 2021. Um, Corvec out of Quebec are setting up a $100 million galvanizing facility up in the, uh, sorry, pardon me, a $40 million galvanizing facility up in the Red Hill Business Park that will employ uh, 100 people. Those are 100 new jobs to the community. And uh, the list goes on. Stryker, a global medical device company, $100 million, 127,000 square foot facility in Flamborough and, uh, and 250 employees. And just a couple of weeks ago, it was announced that Q4, a Toronto-based software company that, that provides digital uh, investor relations solutions for global brands is moving into a newly renovated space in Gore Park. So, uh, you know what? The, the retention and, and the attraction, they both go hand in hand. Uh, what's really good about the, uh, the new stuff coming in is that's new tax revenue for the city. And uh, one of our primary mandates here and one of our primary goals in our economic development action plan is the is a new res, new non-residential assessment. Next segment, we're going to be chatting a little bit about the house prices that continue to go up in the city. Hamilton is becoming a more expensive place to live. That's that's just the reality. Does that have any impact when you try to attract a company to come here because they have to live somewhere if they're going to come? Does the more expensive land, more expensive properties, serve as a deterrent at all when you're trying to get people to come? It, it, and you know, Scott, it really depends where they're coming from. Um, so. Um, so, so that's why retention is such an important, important piece. If they're, if, if they're already here, then uh, hopefully they already have a place here to live. Uh, if they're coming from outside, I mean, we've seen a lot of migration from the GTA. So if they are living in the GTA, uh, the house price is actually still, I mean, it, it, it's getting more expensive here for us, obviously. But uh, from what we've seen, that uh, the folks that are coming in here to come with these companies uh, don't seem to have too much of a problem with, uh, with our house prices as they currently are. There is, and I'm not breaking any news to you right now, there is an ongoing perpetual debate or fight or whatever you want to call it in this city uh, about the downtown versus the suburbs or the lower city and the upper city, and we've heard it with the proposal for an arena at Lime Ridge Mall, we hear it in the fight over the LRT, we hear it in area ratings discussions, all kinds of stuff. How do you, when you're trying to get companies to come, how do you balance those things, the downtown versus the not downtown? So we, we try not to, uh, I, I guess, we don't try to, you know, section them off uh, one against the other by any means. Uh, what I can tell you is that a vibrant downtown uh, sends a very positive message to companies that are looking to locate here. So uh, having a, a vibrant downtown is, is, is good on its own. That being said, 
there are some companies that don't necessarily need a vibrant downtown to establish here. So it, it really depends on the company needs. Scott, it, it's uh, um, a company up in the Red Hill Business Park doesn't necessarily need to have uh, all the amenities of, of, of a downtown core. But uh, what I can tell you when trying to sell the city, uh, having a, a core that's on the move and uh, uh, increasing uh, with a, a number of amenities and uh, opportunities uh, and, uh, I mean, the beautiful architecture that we have down here, uh, it really is a positive selling point. You don't have city councillors quietly whispering sweet nothings in your ears to try and lure places to their ward? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's funny. Uh, I, I've been here for uh, for quite a while. I was here pre-amalgamation. Um, and so that happened a lot when you had six different municipalities saying, you know, bring it up, bring it over here, bring it over there. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't see that. Well, I haven't seen it yet. So, and I didn't see it in my capacity as the manager of business investment either. I'm, I'm so. shocked there are not baskets with large bouquets and things on your desk already saying from your friends in ward, whatever. I would have thought oh, that would have been the first thing that would have happened. God, even if there were, I couldn't accept that. So. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, good. that's good to hear that the ethics and the morals are, uh, are standing strong with the new guy in charge of economic development. Once again, his name is Norm Schlehan. You'll be hearing lots and lots and lots from him over the next, well, we'll say years, right? Decades, Norm? Well, let's hope so. There well, you go. Maybe not decades, but... Uh, years. I, I, I'm not the youngest guy in the world, but uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. No problem, Scott. Take care. Uh, it is a hugely important job, and one of the things that was buried in something Norm just said is one of the key pieces, and that is we're always talking about taxes in this city. One of the ways you reduce taxes is by bringing in more people to pay taxes, which reduces it for everybody, presumably, and businesses especially. Businesses especially. So if Norm does a great job, theoretically, all of our taxes could go down or at least hold the line. We're all cheering for Norm. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So it's a story that uh, CHML had up on its website yesterday. You could have read it. You probably heard about it. The average price for houses in Hamilton, residential, obviously homes in Hamilton, uh, jumped up last month. They're averaging nearly $650,000 now. And when I say jumped up, that's 15.5% over the February before. 15.5%. They went up to 650000 on average in February from 588000 in January. I mean, they are going up at an unbelievable clip. And I'm just wondering, not about, you know, everyone has to live somewhere and everyone wants to buy something, but when does this become something we should be concerned about? Or should we? Or should we? Let me bring in the hardest working man in Hamilton interviewing. <laughs> Just got off CHCH. He has been running around. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. You're like the James Brown of inter- James Brown of interviews. Well, bless your heart. I'll just get my cape and uh, we'll be ready to go. Uh, Marvin, when does this become a problem, or doesn't it, when we start getting into numbers this high? Because we aren't Toronto. Right. So I would say it's a problem now, and why am I saying that is you have to compare how housing prices have gone up to the basic rate of inflation. Uh, prices should move. That's why we call it inflation, and inflation in Canada is running around 1.4%, 1.5%. So housing prices went up a couple of thousand dollars. That, that all seems to make sense. That would be consistent with everything else. But when they go up 15%, which is 10 times the rate of inflation, what that really means is that housing is becoming more and more unaffordable for people. Whether you've got one income or two, or no matter what your job is, it's become more unaffordable. And one of the reasons that uh, the uh, 
federal government has been changing some of the rules around mortgages was they were trying to calm the market or cool the market. That worked. They didn't want to see, they didn't want to see prices fall back, but they wanted to see prices go up more on that order of 1% to 2% as opposed to 10 or 15 And right now, all of their attempts to do that seem to be failing. But people have to, this is, so if you own a home, let me back up, if you own a home, this is fantastic yes. because it's just your, your investment is turning into gold. But if yes. but we, people do have to live somewhere. So at what point do we start to say we don't have anywhere for people, especially younger people trying to get into the working world, their job isn't as stable as it might've been 15, 20, 30 years ago. Right. What do we do? Well, uh, let, let's start first in Toronto. There, the average home price is knocking on the door of a million dollars, $989,000. So if I'm facing that in Toronto and I see Hamilton at 650, I go, wow, look how affordable Hamilton is. And I'm going to come here and hopefully we get all day go service and I'll make magic happen there. If I'm in Hamilton and I can't afford 650, guess what I do? I start looking at Brantford, Niagara, uh, heading down towards Caledonia, Hagersville, other places like that, housing prices, again, take a big step down there. And that's what we're doing. We're driving people further away from the city where they want to live and where they want to work to becoming commuters. And that's not good on other fronts as well. So what, what we really need is two, three, four, five years where housing prices are stable, meaning they go up, but very, very small. When you have 15%, you just can't keep doing that. We call that unsustainable. The the pro and the con, of course, is one of the things, and I was reading this the other day, that we do welcome immigrants into this country, and we're happy to do that. We we This is something that Canada has always been built upon, is bringing people here from other parts of the world. And oftentimes, we want people who come here already established. We don't just want, although we want to take in refugees who are in a difficult right. spot, but we also want people who come with skills and with trades and with abilities. Well, they come with money as well, and that now, you're not just then adding the children of the people who are now growing up. You're putting extra people in who have money. Like It becomes a very complicated situation. You don't want to say, we don't want you, but it also means more pressure on the housing market. No, and absolutely, you're absolutely right. Now, I'll give you another pressure that just happened today. Uh, to try to deal with the coronavirus, to bring calm to the markets, the Bank of Canada cut interest rates by a half a percent. They were 1.75%. That's their interest rate, which they loaned to the banks. Of course, the banks market up and loan it to us a little higher. But they dropped it a full half a percent. They did that to make liquidity easier for businesses to get to help them bridge through coronavirus. So we're not going to stay down at this level. We'll only be here for three or four months until we get past it. But the fear in doing this is we also make debt cheaper for you and I. And guess what that means? People wanting to get in the market, they're going to rush in. They're probably going to overpay for a property and, again, put upward pressure on the housing market. Or the other thing they're going to do is take on more debt they can afford. And that's another concern we have. We already have a dollar seventy-five for every dollar of income we have. And so that's the fear. Hopefully people won't react to this and say, oh, look, they're having a sale on mortgages. Let's let's take on some more debt. And meanwhile, we hope we can get businesses through this. But this is going to put more pressure. So when I look at the March number or even the April number, I don't think that's going to calm the market. If anything, it may heat it some more. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. Glad to be here. Uh, again, like there are so many things and... It is the market. It is interest rates. It is people who are trying to get into the working world and get their own place. It is 
immigration, and again, that's not a slam on immigration. That's a reality. The more people you add who come into the country, they, people need a place to live. It's all things that you throw into the pot and you start to see these housing prices. And again, I, I don't know many people listening, how many people ever thought they would see a day when the average house price in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada was $650,000. That is, that is a, a remarkable number that probably is not going down anytime soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good buddy, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? Not bad. Just uh, marveling. It just, I have to watch it again because I thought it was so fantastic. I mean, Kia Nurse or Hamiltonian, just what she did in the uh, WNBA finals for Canberra Capitals, hitting the winning shot with 21 seconds left. Just, just unbelievable what she's what she's doing. Long three pointer to do it. Um, yes, it, it's a great story, and uh, yeah, got, and I actually have a piece in the paper, probably online now. I haven't looked. Uh, Kia will, of course, be going to the Olympics. Lisa Tomitis, who's her coach on that national team, has the top ranked team in the nationals that start this week, and then will also be going to the Olympics with her. So lots of highly qualified, high-end female basketball coming from this city these days. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and uh, Chona as well, too. I think she was a Guelph resident, Guelph native, but she, I think she went to Hamilton High School as well, too. Just Shona Thorburn, yeah. Now, I, I think she's now doing the broadcasting no, over. Not, in, Natalie, not, uh, Natalie oh, oh, Achona. Oh, sorry, yes, Natalie Achona. Yes, she went to the, when they had the National Development Program here at St. Mary's, mm-hmm. I believe it was, she was here. But, yeah, from Guelph, uh, but via Hamilton. Uh, you know what else is terrific? I have to tell you this because it's now 7.10 and I haven't eaten for a while and I'm starving <laughs> to death. And baseball has started and we haven't yet got the full rundown of all the new crazy foods that are going to be at the ballparks this year. That's coming. <laughs> but spring training has a new thing that I'm, I, I just want to go to Florida just to get this, although I can easily make it at home. It is a grilled cheese burger. It's each bun is a grilled cheese sandwich with a bacon burger in between the two grilled cheese sandwiches. Hold on, try that again. I, so I'm trying to imagine this. That this will basically there's four pieces of bread. Yes, with so the top is a full grilled cheese sandwich, the bottom is a full grilled cheese sandwich, and between it is a bacon cheeseburger with all the fixins. I I I saw this and I I almost fell in love today. Quite honestly. I, I just stared at my computer like Pavlov's dog. There's a puddle now under my desk from the drool watching this thing. It's like, why is baseball doing this to us? Do you, like, I mean, as much as I'm salivating too, but do you do you understand uh, reasons why people outside of North America just hate us? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the gluttony. Uh, several like, years like ago. Like a grilled cheese sandwich wasn't enough. Uh, it, well, it never is enough. Uh, several years ago, I was down in Houston and ended up at a Houston Astros game because they were playing, and this was before the cheating, by the way. I, I do not support the Houston Astros in any other way, but it was before then. And they have, Bubba, they have ballpark food that, like, if I could have found a place to hide, I would have happily just lived there. I think I had four pulled pork sandwiches that day while I was sitting there. It was pulled pork that was, it was like angels dancing on your tongue. You know, I, I I went to a place just recently, a few weeks ago, a few weekends ago, um, the Carbon Bar in downtown Toronto. 
And I'm telling you, I had a piece of brisket, Scott, and I know you're a lover of meat. I am a meat lover. Yes, I am. Like, you know, so for our vegetarian fans, please turn away or plug your ears. Like, it it was heroic. Like, it was... You. I love that description. <laughs> you know, and it needed it needed no barbecue sauce or whatever. Like, I was trying to find ways to have that taste linger in my mouth for as long as possible. Well, you just keep one piece and tuck it in your jaw, in your you know, on the side in your cheek, and just carry it around for the day. Just suck on it for a while. Oh, it's so good. A, a couple times every summer, I will spend more than I should, and I'll go and I'll buy a gigantic steak and do it on the barbecue when I get home from work at like ten o'clock at night, and just pound it down and then lie in bed with meat sweats and meat dreams for that night. But it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. But the double, the double grilled cheese, bacon cheese burger, uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's time to replicate one of those at home and see if I can match what I saw on the computer today. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll believe me, after our conversation, I'll be looking at it. Uh, you know who can afford to buy a few of those? Tony Romo. Oh, isn't that something? So... For people who don't know the story, they probably know who Tony Romo is, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, who was a pretty good quarterback, but as a commentator, he's become better because he seems to have this knack to be able to predict what teams are going to do on a, on an NFL field before the teams do it. And everyone goes, wow, how'd Tony Romo know that? Well, I don't know if Tony Romo, even with his predicting skills, could have predicted that some network was going to pay him $17 million a year, almost a million dollars a game he is going to be paid, not to play and to risk his body, but to show up on Saturday night for the pre-meetings, do the game on Sunday, and then go home. A million dollars a game almost, Bubba. Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit, just from a TV standpoint, it's a little bit more than that. He obviously has to educate himself. He is there for pre I guess would be probably two days before the game there for meetings with the coach and you you talk to players and and you do your your analysis of the teams but yeah I'm not saying the guy is uh, in the steel mill working hard for 12 hours but um, I think this I think this deal Scott also will include because I mean he's a scratch golfer too and competes at several of the programs that are out there in the PGA. Um, and he'll be doing golf commentating as well too, because I think because CBS, obviously, as you know, do, you know they broadcast many tournaments, and and his partner on television would be the same partner that he has on on and for golf as well for for football with with it being Kansas. Jeanette. So uh, I guess there's a comfort level. He's you know he's certainly drawn the attention of many people outside of just like the hardcore football fan. I have never, I mean, and, and I'm, you know, skeptical at the least of many broadcasters. You know, this guy brings a, a boyhood excitement to the game that I've never heard before. Um, I think you'd have to go back to John Madden, who was previously... Okay, so what would John guy. Madden be worth today, yeah. then? Well, and John Madden made $8 million at his, at his peak, and, and that was a tremendous amount of money. Um. What would what would well, um, not Walter Cronkite? What would Howard Cosell be worth today? I mean, it's, uh, he's probably less than Romo because, like the analyst, if you're a former player, generally gets paid more than the network guy. I mean, because he's making more than Bob Costas or anyone. He's the highest paid guy out there. Uh, I know it, it's an it's an insane amount of money, but remember this too, Scott. 
they did they uh CBS had an exclusive negotiation window with Tony Romo. They have realized that the fear I mean this isn't just a, a one year thing. He's now on his third year and the ratings of the games that he does which are generally the nationally broadcast games they're through the roof and he checks out well with women, kids, people like him. It so goes. It, it goes you, to my. Well, it goes to the whole thing. We we always hear athletes make too much money. Athletes make too much money. And look, of course, they make too much money. We understand that they make too much money, but they make money that if they're not making it, the owners are going to make it because sure. it, it it all goes to the point of how insane the amount of money is that's in sports right now. If you can pay a commentator seventeen million bucks a year, that that to me is you know, Bubba. I know you can't undo what's there now. I know you can't, there's contracts and everything else, but there's a part of me that says, look, if we're able to pay a commentator 17 million bucks, but, and I know it's football and we're going to talk, but, but a leaf ticket costs, a good leaf ticket costs 300 or $400. Let's just roll the whole thing back into a, a level of sanity here and say, let's take leaf tickets back to 50 bucks and bring everyone else's money down. So this, it's just, there's so much, it seems ridiculous now. I know you can't undo it. But. Obviously, you can't do it. You can't go back. You can never go in reverse. But let's also forget, not forget here, Scott, that that money, the monies are also, because obviously we're the fans, we're the, you know, the ones that get hit if you choose to go to a game and leave your house or your TV screen. But let's not also forget the amount of money these networks make off the TV deal and yes. off the advertising. Yes. Right? So they are able to generate this amount of money and let alone what leagues are paying television companies and the other way around too to to broadcast their games but but and you're 100% right but who pays for that i mean it all ultimately comes from you and i and everyone else because yes the the tv broadcasters are paying a fortune to the leagues to be able to broadcast the games and they're getting that money back and more from advertising rates but Molson's and Ford and Holiday Inn and all the rest are not just giving money away because they want to lose their profits. The cost then for a beer or a car or a stay in a hotel is higher because they have to pay for their advertising. So ultimately, pretty much everything that we buy, even if you don't follow sports, we are paying for Tony Romo and for the athletes and for the networks to make profit. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right on that. I mean, and you add to the fact that people are staying away from the ballpark and the football field and you know the rink because it's your experience in many cases from watching the game in your own living room. Sometimes maybe better in some cases, especially on a viewing. Most aspect, times, most right? times. You know, other than being, other than the atmosphere, which the TV can only go so far in relaying through, you know, sound and pictures, other than the fact of actually being there and being part of the, the fandomonium while you're in the stands, there's, I hate to say this because I'm a television guy, but like sometimes it's better just to watch a game at home. Well, that's a good reason to be a television guy. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, look, Italy has just announced today that now, not for that reason, not just because they want to test this, but because of the coronavirus, because of their fears, all sports events in Italy for the next month are going to be played without any fans in the stands. Wow. And I, 
look, it, they're not doing this to test that model. They're doing it for a reason of trying to control the virus. Mm-hmm. But boy, I, I will be interested to see at the end of a month if this doesn't, if a lot of people don't look at this and say, huh, how did that go? How did that go? Do we, do we need to have fans in the stands? Do we need to have as many fans in the stands? Do we need to have stadiums that are as big? Do, I mean, there's a lot of, I know you want to have endless revenue sources, but I think there's going to be some interesting studies done after this by looking at it and saying, what impact did that really have? No, that's interesting that you do say that. And as to the smaller stadiums, I think that trend has already started. The With the exception of Jerry Jones, who's a Texas guy <laughs> yeah. and everything's bigger than Texas, who's got that 90,000-seat stadium, everyone that are building stadiums, whether it be baseball, uh, football, they're all going smaller, um, more intimate feel. Uh, harder to sell 80,000, even just down the road. There was a time in the Bills' heyday uh, where Rich Stadium or New Era Field or whatever they called it at that time was 80,000 strong. At this point now, that uh, attendance, uh, that uh, capacity, I think, I think it's about 69,000 now. Yeah, well, look, I, the, the places J- places like Jerry Jones in Texas with the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones could put a team on the field made up of nuns and he would be able to sell that place out. It's Dallas and it's the Cowboys and it doesn't matter what you put on the field. They want a good team, but they'll still buy the ticket. It's very much, if not exactly like the Leafs. The Leafs, the Leafs could have a 30,000 seat arena and I'm convinced they would sell out every game. And, but there's not many teams. One day and and one day, and this may, this may happen. It may not happen. And and I know maybe um, I'm being a little dreamy, dreamy here. I'd love to see that model tested, if the Leafs really could do that. And I say this, would that be the case if there was a team here in Hamilton? Uh, what do you mean? If there was a team that other fans here in the GTA and Hamilton and Niagara and the Golden Horseshoe had another team to cheer for, would the Maple Leafs be able to, to have 30000 in it? Like, I mean, how would it affect the attendance? Uh, he... I think yes, I think they still would because I think I don't think that everybody in Toronto is a hockey fan per se. If everybody was a hockey fan, then the Toronto Marlies would be sold out every game and that ECHL team that's in Mississauga or wherever it is would be sold out every game. They are Leaf fans. And uh, and I'm convinced if you if you if you added 10,000 more seats to Scotiabank Place or Scotiabank what's it Scotiabank Place or Scotiabank Arena I can oh, never I keep track which one's in Ottawa and which one's Toronto it's a stupid name them the same thing but anyway and you made those $20 tickets so that you're not charging people 100 bucks to be way up in the nosebleeds but if you made it 20 bucks so you could go and take your kid to a game that way no problem for that thing to be sold every time but they'll never do that I mean imagine this I believe the Maple Leafs ha- do these uh, next gen games, yes. they call them, which is, a, a, um, I think they schedule them on pretty much days where there, I think there's like, uh, what do you call them, PD days for, for, for elementary yep. school nowadays. I think the two games a year that they do, they are on those, they, those days to encourage kids to keep the next generation going. Scott, there's no decrease in price for the tickets, and yet the place is still sold out. The other day, uh, I looked up some numbers. This was. Actually, it was a few months ago, but we talked about it the other day because the Leafs were playing down in Florida. 
against the Panthers. And it was a few months ago that I had looked online and I discovered that if I was to buy a pair of good Leaf tickets to go to the game in Toronto, for the same price, I could get a flight, go to Miami, (laughs) buy the the Panthers tickets, drive home after the game to the airport, fly home, and it would be cheaper for me to go and do that. Absolutely. I've been to the B&T arena and... You know, it's for a Maple Leaf and Panthers game. In fact, one of our editors here, Dave Roberts, actually went to a game, uh, went to uh, the the Florida road trip, uh, him and his buddy. And that Florida Panthers game, which I believe was on a Thursday night, and it, because it's the midweek, it's a Tuesday or Thursday night, he said the beers were $5. $5. And he said they weren't 12. They were like, you know, 16-ounce beers. There, well, sports is, and we go back to Tony Romo, like so many other things, and I, I am I am a capitalist. I mean, I am I am not against the idea of people making money. I, there are times when, as I say, I'd life, I, I don't want to cap what you can make, but I'd love to see everybody just pull it back so that m- more people could go to games and stuff. But nonetheless, people, you will charge what you can get. The value of a Leaf ticket is whatever somebody's willing to pay. The value of a beer at a Leaf game is whatever somebody's willing to pay. And clearly, they're willing to pay. And clearly, CBS is willing to pay Tony Romo. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid him. So, and they don't want him to go to ESPN. That's uh, another well, thing. Well, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. But but now the interesting thing is, ESPN is going to have to find their own Tony Romo. Whether that's Peyton Manning, his name has been bandied about, or, or someone else. And if you're Peyton Manning, are you going to sign up at ESPN? For five million bucks, when Tony Romo is making seventeen, no, you're they're now on the hook for. Uh, it may not be seventeen, but it's going to be twelve or thirteen or fourteen or fifteen. Well, you can name his price, quite honestly. And then, what's the next guy? Like suddenly, what was the safe area without having to think about contracts too much? Because they were making. I mean, the guys in the states and the women in the states they make very good money on broadcast, but it was never like the players. Now it's like the players. I, I think the you know what though Scott I'll I'll be honest I think I think these guys and, and I'll use uh, Romo obviously because that's who we're talking about I think he's a once in a lifetime kind of guy I, there there are I mean again it's been uh, I can't I, I off the top of my head I can't remember the, when John Madden retired but it has been that long since there's been a guy that has pierced the interest of football fans and sports fans alike that has become that has made it almost like you've got to check out a game with this guy. Like, like, like that has created that kind of buzz. So yeah, I agree with you that the you know the rates and the the salaries are going are escalating for these guys. But I do believe Romo is a kind of once in a lifetime sort of situation. Maybe. And I just looked this up, and I don't know if this is accurate. There's a site online that's talking about uh, what people are making. So apparently, Terry Bradshaw makes a million bucks a year for Fox NFL Sunday. Wow, a million bucks a year for Terry Bradshaw. Troy Aikman, apparently, according to this, makes a million bucks. Uh, Chris Collinsworth makes a little bit more than that. You can go on and on. The the fact is, though, with that panel for the Terry Bradshaw, uh, Howie Long, um, whoever else is on that thing, Jimmy Johnson panel, do those are is that guy worth a million bucks on that panel? No, no. With what they do, they offer a sentence or two here or there. I mean, it's name recognition, and I, it just seems like there's this suddenly, and Tony Romo was the latest example of it, there is this arms race to say, we got to get the most big-name guys 
But 95% of the people, honestly, you take away their name, they're not great at what they do. There's people out there who would be much better. They just don't have the name value. The name is what you're buying. It's like buying a name brand purse versus a purse from Costco. Uh, you're, you're right. I mean, there's something to be said about being a Dallas cow. Even if you weren't a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, that's America's, that's still, you know, 30 years later, considered America's team. And if you're a quarterback, I mean, and let's also add on the fact that he had the good-looking girlfriends and what was it, uh, the, his wife, I can't remember the name of the girl that he dated forever, that uh, the country music singer. Uh, 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 Jessica, is it Jessica? Jessica uh, Par- not Jessica Parker. No, but. <laughs> you know, yeah, we we both know. We'll get yeah. to it in a second. You know, and and you know, so he this guy's got recognition that's beyond the sport of football. And putting this for the side that he putting aside the fact that he he played for the biggest team uh, with arguably a name that's right up there with the, the the Canadian Montreal Canadiens, the New York Yankees, and the LA Dodgers in terms of brand power. And, you know, the thing about it is, uh, Stephen A. Smith, who I'm not a huge fan of Stephen A. Smith, I, I, I find him exhausting more often than anything else because <laughs> he's just screaming about everything all the time. He's making $10 million bucks, but at least, at least there's a guy where you say, okay, he's working every single day, yep. and it seems that he's posting stuff from, like, 24 hours a day. He's in his shower, and we're seeing clips coming out that he's got something to say. I find, as I say, I find it to be overdone, but at least he's working for that money more than once a week or maybe twice a week. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's, he's, it's every day, and he's on first take every day as well. Um, Jim yeah, Rome. Jim Rome, apparently, according to this, and I'll let you go with this one, is making $30 bucks a year. Wow. Jim Rome. I thought he, I didn't even know he was still on the air. Oh, no, he's, he's still on the air. We don't hear him much here, but, I mean, that guy is probably in over 100 markets across the United States. <laughs> You know, um, you know, and, it and always you, and you being you know a hotshot in the radio business. I mean, oh yeah, I'm making thirty million bucks yeah. a year. <laughs> you know who used to always shock me with this was the fabulous sports babe. Remember the fabulous sports yes, babe? Yeah, she figured it out. I mean, her show was, meh, but she just signed up so many radio stations in syndication that even if they only all paid a little bit, she made a lot of dough doing that show. Uh, you know what? We got to figure, you and I got to figure this out better. Cause I can tell you right now, I'm not making 30 million bucks doing this. I mean, Bill Kelly is, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm sure Bill Kelly is. Absolutely. He is. I think it's actually 35, but anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, well, you, you know what? When Tony Romo, when he's on now, you can set the stopwatch and then do the math. See well, how many seconds he's actually on the air talking and then do the math this year and see how much he was paid per second. I can't wait to do that. Well, I'm more than willing to, to, to leave CHCH if, if I'm given an opportunity to be the next Howard Stern. Uh, you know, there, there's another guy that's making a lot of coin. Uh, you know, when I think of Howard Stern, the first name that comes to mind is Bubba O'Neill. <laughs> there's just such a simpatico right there. You guys are like two peas in a pod. <laughs> Bubba O'Neill, you can see him tonight on CHCH. Always appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.